Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Good morning. I know why they were panicking, Dale, about the announcement, because if you don't tell the kids to leave before you announce who's preaching, we get a lot more people leave. So it could be we heard the pitter-patter of big feet leaving because you introduced me prior to saying the kids can be dismissed. But thank you, Dale. It's always a privilege for me to be back uh, here in Seattle. And I know your shoreline and all, but bad habits uh, don't go away easily. And um, I was a nursery kid in this church. And uh, before it was Berean, 62, 63, 64, 65, and in 1966, my father left here and went to Spokane uh, in the beginning of the church in Spokane. In fact, if you're aware of what just happened there in uh, this past year, they had a great celebration of 50 years of that church with the four uh, alive pastors. Now, that makes it sound like there's two that aren't. No, the four pastors who are are still alive back to celebrate 50 years of uh, Berean Bible Church in Spokane, which really you can say was a great plant of Berean Bible Church in Seattle. And so this is a real homecoming for me to be coming out here, and not just because I don't have to endure Michigan fans and Detroit Tiger fans, but the fact that it feels like home when I land and I get to see the mountains and uh, enjoy being in uh, the Northwest again. So it's great uh, to be here. And I know that uh, some of the staff, all of the staff is over in Leavenworth, and I'll be heading back over there uh, this afternoon as well. But I kind of had this feel, uh, and I was going to tell the Aquells this, that when the whole pastoral staff leaves and goes over the mountain, this could be really entertaining this morning. What do you do when the cat's away? And I said, that really is, that's it, huh? That's as that's really as wild as you get when the pastor's away. I said, boy, this is really uh, speaks a lot for uh, your, your church. Uh, of course, I'm the head of an organization, so I call back quite a bit to the, to the home office and see, oh, someone's not here today. Well, how, does, how does that work? I didn't get a notice about that. Now, it doesn't happen a lot like that, but I understand. They said, we had a potluck while you were gone. How come it was after I was gone? You know, uh, It makes a longer potluck when I'm gone, you see, if it goes, goes in there. But I love... Uh, the work that I'm privileged to do at Grace Bible College. I've been at Grace, as Dale said, since uh, 2003 in February. So now I've actually been at Grace as president of Grace longer than my father who preceded me at, at Grace. And absolutely love what God, and I'm so clear about that, what God is doing through the ministry of Grace Bible College. And so I did bring uh, an insert for you today, and that's why you said there's something bright and blue in my insert and we cannot get over what we just celebrated that I continue to word, use the word, it was epic. Our graduation at Grace Bible College has, has been such a celebration. The testimonies at our banquet the night before and then the actual graduation. And you even see that one graduate right in there in the middle left. I don't know how they got her dad in there, but that's cool. That's cool. Uh, what God is doing in graduation. And if you look at that graphic, I'll often show a graphic of how the college has grown in the last five to six years. But really, the graduates who finish and go forward to serve Jesus Christ, trained and equipped to be effective minister of the gospel, is a much greater 
more difficult and yet more exciting measure of the success of the institution than it is how many students come in the doors. See, because nationwide, attrition and uh, retention rates are, are at an all-time low. For instance, uh, you see on this statistic that in 19, uh, excuse me, 2011, we had 33 total graduates. That's both associates and, and bachelors. This year, we had 129. We had a record graduation last year when we had 72 graduates. This year we had 129 graduates, 58 of those were our traditional students who come to school in the day, uh, most of them are 18 to 25, there's a few olders that's, that sneak in there and say, I want to hang with the young kids and wear my hair cool, uh, but 49 of those were, were bachelors and 9 of those were associate's degrees, and then we had 71 graduates from our non-traditional program. You know what those people look like? Look around. They are people that are normal with life and family and jobs and are saying, God has moved me, I want to go back to school. So those 71 graduates are non-traditional students who we have probably 90% of those students are online. Online students anywhere in America, your uh, uh, pastor teaches online for us regularly. I was talking with him about it the other day, how are his classes going, what's he teaching, and he gave me a horror story that I was called on Friday, we lost a teacher, we want you to start Monday I went, well, at least we have a, in our non-traditional program a prescribed curriculum. In other words, we've done the curriculum and uh, professors come in and work as facilitators because they're working with adults, a lot different format than we do in a, non, in a traditional program where it's more lecture-based and activities together. Our non-traditional program is, is working with people like yourselves who have life experience and read and study and then share those experiences together and the professor guides them to read and do the right things and, and comments on their on their expression. So 71 of those were non-traditional. Now out of that group, 29 were bachelors and 42 were uh, associates. Our associates level because we're only uh, in our non-traditional program in our fourth year. This was our first graduating class where people came to us with zero education as adults and started to work through and finish four years. The graduation rate of online adult students in America today is under 20%. 18, 17, 16%, depending on what you read. In other words, you start class, you're going to do it whenever you can. You know the assignments have to be done by the end of the week, but there's kids to take to soccer practice, and there's class to be done, and there's family, and there's house, and, there's, and you see, and what they say all the time is that all of our adult students are at-risk students because it's simply they're in the middle of life trying to squeeze studies in there. Think about that yourself, squeezing 20 hours of studies into your week or more on a regular basis so you can pursue your degree, that's a difficult task, isn't it, as you think about that? Much less, there's an expense involved for you to continue your education. So it is really phenomenal that we're retaining our students at a rate of 60 to 70% when the average is under 20% because they can easily drop it just like it was when they tried to plug in. So really, we have a lot to be thankful for when you think about how God is blessing and how we're continuing to see the ministry of a Bible college, which is all about Christian instruction, or even what we might think of as secular or non-spiritual topics spoken of from a biblical perspective and uh, brought in an accredited educational level to students all around America. We've had some overseas, some in the military, and that's exciting. So when you look at that, I want you to see that graphic and see we are still not over graduation. And why is that? Because the testimonies of people that say, I called, I got personal attention, I live out of state, I was counseled, I was prayed with, I was encouraged to be able to finish my studies, I had academic advisors that walked me through it, and that's why I'm standing here today about how my life has been changed because of somebody ministering to me. 
You know, see, in Grace Bible College has always been about, in our core values, transformational relationships. We're about grace in our theology, and it's on that paper on the back. We're about grace in our theology. We're biblically centered. We're about transformational relationships, and we're about ministry focus. That those, those are our core values, which we hold up, and everything fits into those values of why we do what we do. Some of those core values are the same things that you have in your church, are they not? That you desire that people in your congregation have that Bible-centeredness, that when we answer a question, it's because we can, we can note that God speaks to these issues. And when God speaks to these issues, that's how we uh, continue to uh, define life as God defines life. So I want to thank you, because your church has been involved in the ministry of Grace Bible College for a long, long time. I think we only see an increase of students in the Northwest who are studying online or possibly even in our consideration by extension of the institution here in the Northwest because of the need for biblical higher education. Uh, I want to remind you that, uh, I guess if I'm reminding you, that would be I already told you. So let me tell you first, and I'll remind you later. Uh, I have a display outside in the back. It's not really outside. It's on the way to go outside. There we commandeered the uh, elder's desk there. And on there, there's some information you can read about the college. There's even some information. Here's your, here's your information for non-traditional education. You say, what in the world does it mean to get a degree in our degrees, our leadership and ministry, uh, human services, and business are three degrees that we have in a non-traditional format that someone can study those degrees from a non-traditional education. And our newest uh, attempt will be on the 15th and 16th of June. The accrediting bodies are coming for the last step of our process to offer our Master of Arts in Ministry degree. So therefore, you have a degree. You're not going to go back and study at an undergraduate level and say, I would like to be effective in my church in ministry. So in other words, that's exciting for us that we have never offered graduate study. The state has approved, our national accrediting body of Bible colleges approved, and now the last step is our regional accreditors, Higher Learning Commission, is on campus to approve our program to be able to begin yet this fall for our Master in Arts and Ministry. That's exciting. You can sit in Seattle, totally online, no on-campus uh, requirements, and, and get your master's degree in ministry uh, through Grace Bible College. So we're really excited about that. So there's a place where you can pick up that literature in the back, uh, let me tell you another thing that's really important at Grace Bible College. We understand that people, especially our traditional students, are making life transformational decisions because they're in that time of life when they are charting the rest of their life. They've been raised well, they've been in the church, and now they're looking, how am I going to carry on the rest of my life? So we have a program at Grace called our Prayer Mothers and our Prayer Fathers. Are any of you in this room a prayer mother or a prayer father for students at Grace Bible College? Wow, both of you are amazing individuals. Both of you are amazing individuals. We have grown from Grace Bible College from, a, from a, uh, a student count of somewhere about 140 when I first arrived at Grace, to now we had 340 students this last fall and expect 350 to 60 this year that we absolutely need more prayer mothers and prayer fathers who are assigned one student this is what this student's name is. This is where they come from. This is what they're studying. And here's some preliminary prayer requests you might have for them. And then you pray for that student throughout their educational time. And if they drop out of school, we come looking for you because you didn't pray hard enough, okay? I'm just kidding about that last part. We don't. The accountability is between you and God that you pray, and you pray so that God may work in the heart and life of a young man or a young woman because we live in an America today where the pressure and the transformation that we are looking for in the life of a young person is monumental. I mean, I don't think we do any good to make light of that. 
Even our Christian kids raised in America today, the pressure for them to conform to the world rather than to be countercultural, rather than to stand up for godly values when no one else is, when the popular opinion has already crossed over in many ways to be anti-Christian and anti-biblical, we're looking for young people who are courageous to say, we live in an age of exile, in a country of exile, waiting for that eternal hope, and we ask you to stand strong. Now, that may sound like powerful words to you, but I believe that's how we talk to America youth today and to challenge them to be God's instrument in a very difficult world, and that needs prayer. So please, take a moment. My wife and I will be back there at the end of the service, and you can sign up for that, and she can tell you more about that program because she coordinates and orchestrates prayer mothers and prayer fathers for our students. But I cannot under, no, overestimate the importance of prayer uh, for our students. With that being said, I'd like to open God's Word with you this morning in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, look with me at the book of Acts chapter 9. Now readily when I say the book of Acts chapter 9, you know what happens and it is what? Is this a non-talking church? I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm in non-talking church. I didn't ask you, know, I didn't ask you to raise your hands again. I saw that you're non-charismatic. I get that. Okay, maybe there's 40 prayer partners and I just asked you to raise your hand, you know. Have you ever heard that guy says, how many of you raise your hands in church? You know, it's like, <laughs> you asked the wrong question. I don't, so I can't. Really. So Acts chapter 9 is what? Oh, man, you guys are great. No, you're all wrong. It's not Paul's conversion, it's Saul's conversion. He wasn't Paul yet. Trap question, I'm sorry. Saul's conversion, who later becomes Paul. And so, you know, Saul is our hero of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, which really isn't true. Jesus Christ is always the hero, but he calls the apostle Paul from heaven to be his envoy to the Gentiles and Jews together and reveals to him this new message that we are joint heirs in Jesus Christ and therefore we have a gospel that is more defining of diversity and worldwide evangelization than any gospel possible to preach because it's the gospel of the grace of God which brings salvation to all men. And it's irrespective, and Paul is the one who says over and over again, whether slave or free, whether, whether barbarian or Scythian. I mean, that's, that's pretty shady when you think about the words he uses there, isn't it? I mean, we say, how about these people? I mean, he was calling out the worst when he said that. His message was to all men. It spoke to ethnic diversity. It spoke to social economic change. It spoke to these people need the gospel of the grace of God, and without it, they're lost. An opportunity at Grace, I always do the final interviews of new employees, and I'll be honest with you, we have added maybe 25 employees in the last three years at Grace Bible College. In other words, God blesses, God blesses, and we say, we've got to have somebody, we're hurting, we've got to add a person. That's a blessing, but you know what the other thing it is? It's a challenge that we must hire deeply committed people who understand the ministry of the college in a way that they will carry on the culture of the institution and not let that change. And so I always have the last interview. I said, no one gets hired unless I say, we're up with that. And when I ask the questions about, tell me about your personal salvation. Describe for me in a time that we live in America today where people believe they're saved and they're good people, but they don't know the gospel. How will you help that student who comes to you or even that vendor who comes on our campus or that person that maybe you're recruiting for a job to understand what we believe the scripture teaches? And you know, it is difficult for people to articulate today what happens if they don't have the favor of God. That's the times we're living in especially the younger the person is. They say there's great privilege, maybe I'll have to answer for it someday, but they can't clearly say sometimes, 
without God's grace, there is a literal hell and there is a lostness that is dreadful. And we must, by great motivation, tell this good news because the alternative is dreadful. Isn't that amazing? But that is the world we're living in today. And so therefore, Paul's gospel is about that. And so as you see uh, Saul and his conversion, let me get to my point. And my point here is that Saul is converted. I'm going to jump in the, from the first few verses where, he, where he's spoken to from heaven. And then he, he is led. Let me jump all the way to verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he had opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. Now, what type of person was Saul? A leader, a religious person, a person who had incredible conviction to carry out what he thought was, listen to this, religiously correct. We might call him a fundamentalist today in the best sense of the word. He knew what it was to be a Jew and a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and he was carrying it out. And this aberration that had arisen, these followers of the way, were not fitting in his religious construct, and so his job was to snuff them out. And so therefore, he was there. He was at the stoning of Stephen. He gave his full consent to that, and now that's not enough. He says, I want letters to go elsewhere, up to Damascus, and to snuff these people out and to extinguish them so they don't hurt what we know is religiously correct. Now you think about the Jews at the time in the first century. They are different than all the nations around them. There's a purity that God calls out throughout the Old Testament scriptures for the Jew to be a Jew and not to be infected by the other nations, right? So when you think about him, he's doing what's right. He's dedicated his life to it, and he meets on the road to Damascus a voice from heaven, Jesus, so that when Jesus calls him out and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? How does he answer? Church? He doesn't even know who God is in the person of Jesus Christ when he speaks. Isn't that amazing? He's so religious, he doesn't know who Jesus is. Just wrap your mind around that for a moment, huh? And so what does God do? He humbles him incredibly. incredibly. He walks him blindly into Damascus where he sits for three days. Can you imagine if the book was written about the days that Saul spent and what he did and what he thought about for three days. His world has just been turned upside down. Why? Well, I've given you the historical uh, context because everything he knew and everything he followed and what he dedicated to thinking he's pleasing God, all of a sudden has been turned upside down. Can you picture that in his life? And he sits and he waits and he waits and then God does something incredibly unique. Remember, he spoke from heaven Absent any human agent, right? Directly. We kind of want God to speak that way today, don't we? Again, go here, do this, and I'll tell you when you're done with that. You know, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Now, even, if he sent me, even if he sent me an email and I could authenticate it. Don't go sending me emails, okay? Because I know they're not from God. It would be really nice. But here we get a secret of how God worked at this time and how God always works even in this present day, all right? Because here we pick it up now in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Now, who, is, who was Ananias a disciple of? Obviously not of this Jewish way. He was of this Jewish uh, uh, religiosity from the Old Testament. He was of the way, and he's called a disciple. The Lord called him in a vision and said, Ananias. So once again, God's speaking directly to somebody. The Lord, yes, Lord, he answers. So he knows who God is. 
The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. That's our first tip into the fact that what was he doing for three days? I would be doing the same. Lord, I had this messed up my whole life. I've studied, I'm religious, and now you're telling me I'm persecuting? The Lord told him, go to the house, he's praying. In a vision, verse 12, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So we get another clue into the fact that while Saul is praying, he's getting further revelation of what the next steps are, but it includes the fact that he's simply going to see another man and he will get his sight restored. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias said, I've heard about this guy, Saul, and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He says, Lord, I'm ready for assignments, but do you understand what you're asking me to do? Can you sense that? And Ananias' response said, this sounds dangerous, Lord. I'm a disciple, I'm a follower, but that sounds like something I would not choose to do. And I love the way the Lord uh, just says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. You know, that sounds like a parent because I told you to, right? I'm your mother, and I told you to. God says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then we love it because the next verse says, Ananias went. He goes to him. He walks up to Saul. And I don't know how much of the story we get, but we get this story when we read it, and it says he placed his hands on the enemy, on the person who was scary, with the assurance of God that that's how God was going to work, and he places his hands on him, and the words are cool because he says, Brother Saul. I mean, we read this so much, we miss the significance and the power of the personal interaction and the touch and the God choosing a man who's afraid and telling him to go and to embrace him as a brother. That is powerful, my friend. And I believe we find a model for ministry in this example of how Saul is saved and how he will practice ministry because God chose to do it that way. Now, why do I say that? Because think about it. Saul could have thought ministry comes from God speaking from heaven to everybody, right? He could have said, you know, why do we need to send missionaries? Why do we need to go to people? Do that thing like you did to me, Lord. That three days on your back not seeing, that was effective. Just do that. Wouldn't it be effective? It would for me. But we see an example of what God wants to do in ministry when he takes a man and asks him to be obedient and asks him to come along someone who he's not sure about and include him and embrace him and to minister to him. That is the example here in Acts chapter 9 of Ananias as he ministers to Saul, later Paul. Jump ahead. We see what happens there in uh, chapter 9. Saul goes back. They have to let him down out of a basket. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. And what happens there? But they're all afraid. They go, no, 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 no. You're not pulling one on us. We know the story of this. You know, you're a, this is in clandestine or a clandestine operation. You're just coming back and trying to, trying to root us out, and then you'll throw us in prison. We know what you've been doing to our relatives and family, maybe even spouses, And now he comes back, everything's good, why don't you come out and meet with me? They're afraid to meet with him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Verse 27, what's the two words you find? Maybe you're not reading the NIV. But Barnabas, person again. You get again, God using the human agent to say, if I'm going to speak, 
and I'm going to minister to somebody, I'm going to send somebody to go to somebody else, and we have the same ability to include again, to embrace, and to minister to someone. Barnabas takes him, and amazingly enough, he becomes this uh, powerful, convincing speaker, even back in Jerusalem, because they're going, is this the same guy? Is this the guy that took the papers and went to Damascus? But God ministered to him through someone else. All right, now let me fast forward even further down the road. So that's going to be happening, these events, somewhere around 35 A.D., with Christ uh, crucified somewhere between 30 and 33 A.D. Now we have 35 A.D. Saul, called by God, given a ministry to effectively minister. We have the years which he spends in Arabia where he learns more. We believe there's some further revelation about this ministry, why uh, Gentiles are going to be included now. But then fast forward into chapter 16 of Acts. And we're going to see something interesting that happens. Now we're at about 50 to 51 A.D., Paul's had one missionary journey. He's now Paul. He comes back. He's about to start off in his second missionary journey. If you know the story, he has a little, uh, little run-in with Barnabas over one of Barnabas's relatives. And so Barnabas takes his relative and goes off this way. And Paul takes Silas and says, we're going to go off this way. And then you jump into chapter 16, and here's what it says. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So, after Paul has been in ministry for 15 years with Barnabas, have I got those years right? Yeah. He comes to Derby. He's going to start another missionary journey. He finds a young man, most commentators believe somewhere between the age of 14 and 20, you know, any of that would qualify as young man, whose mother was a believer and a Jewish, whose father, it says in Scripture, was a Greek. We don't know the whole story on Timothy, and people speculate. It was his father... Uh, a non-believer? Was his father simply spiritually not a leader? Was his father not even in the picture because there was only a, a single parent? Spiritually, obviously, we find single parenting as in a spiritual way. She's raising him. But you, you have this situation that if you're a pure Jew, Paul says the Jews and the Gentiles should be together because that's what God now says of this gospel, the grace of God. It is irrespective of your ethnic uh, background, and he goes and he finds a young man who does not fit leadership by Jewish standards, would never be a priest in the Old Testament, and says, let me tell you how serious I am about this gracious thing. I'm going to grab somebody that you think doesn't qualify. The best thing to stamp on that picture is not qualify. And Paul, the powerful, powerful new Apostle. Why can I say that? He's just come out of a missionary journey. He's just come out of the Jerusalem Council where all the disciples gather around and say, you know what? We saw the Spirit of God verify that the ministry of Paul is God's ministry, just like we saw in Acts chapter 2, the falling of the Holy Spirit, verifying that this is a ministry that's of God. Therefore, Paul... We've got a couple of requirements where they want you to say, but go with God's blessing. And so we have this incredibly powerful new apostle turning the world upside down. Go and grab this young man and say, I want you to come along. I want to invest in you. I want to be your Ananias. I want to be your Barnabas. I want you to come alongside and watch and then do and then help and then pretty soon turn you loose into ministry. Isn't that powerful? God uses the human ingredient investing in 
Timothy through Paul. The brothers, I'm in verse 2 of 16, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they traveled from town to town. They delivered decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. That's powerful inclusion happening by the apostle Paul to others. So now let me fast forward for the sake of time to Philippians chapter 2. Because at the end of the book of Acts, we have what we call the prison epistles. That Paul has concluded the book of Acts, Acts 28, and begins to write to the churches which have been established in all three of his missionary journeys. And he writes back to the church of Philippians. This is really powerful. Uh, If you know your scriptures, uh, Philippians chapter 2, you have this incredible passage where it speaks about the humility and the attitude of Jesus Christ himself, who although he was in the form of God, made himself nothing, took on the form of a man. And this is an attitude which uh, uh, Apostle Paul says should be present in us through, uh, through his writing to the book of, uh, to, to, through his writing to the people who are the church of Philippi. And then, interestingly enough, he gives us that example, which we all look at that and go, man, that's powerful. Lord, do that in my life. But I love the way the Apostle Paul doesn't leave it so uh, theoretical, if you will. I mean, he gave an example, but he gave an example of Jesus, who is God. So we relate and we kind of feel distant at the same time huh? when, it's, when it's doing what God does. And so he says, let me give you an example of people who are uh, an example of what following Jesus looks like. And he picks up Timothy. Fifteen years, uh, excuse me, ten years later, his investment looks like this. Chapter 2, verse 19. Are you ready? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone looks out for his own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I can't imagine a higher commendation for someone to give than what I read these words of Paul talking about Timothy. Picked him up in 50 A.D., End of the book of Acts, Paul's in prison, 10 years of investment in this young man. He says, no one is like Timothy. No one looks out for the welfare of others because they all are self-centered. Like a father to his son. Now, you think of the example of Timothy. A man who was raised by his mother, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, who invested in him spiritual fruit, and then a man of God comes along, includes him, sends him into ministry, and it says he has proved himself. You know what that also means? Our investment of others is not simply including them, it's empowering them. You understand the difference of those? I'm going to help. I want to bring you along. I see potential in you, young man, young woman, friend. I see God has the ability to use you for great things. And then let's go together. Did you see how that situation worked out? Did you see how I answered that? Did you see when I preached that? Did you see how I prepared to minister to those people? Now you try it. You see, that's where we move from watch me to I'm empowering you. You have the ability to do that. Show me how you prepared for that. Well, that's good. That's good work. Now you might tweak that a little bit here. Then we come alongside and say, that's great work. I'm going to give you another chance next week. I want you to move this thing even forward. Now remember what we were talking about when we debriefed after you did ministry. 
Do you hear the difference in how we include and then how we empower? Because I believe this is the principle for ministry today, not just in America. Worldwide, it starts in the book of Acts with Ananias to Saul, Barnabas to Saul, Paul to Timothy, empowering so that he can say something after 10 years of ministry. Timothy's the man. I've got nobody like Timothy. And back in prison, he's as proud as can be saying, Timothy's doing the work. Timothy's doing it every bit as well as I would have done the work because he's proved himself. I've empowered him. He does the work. You see, it's easy for us, especially the older we get, and I'm in that category now, believe it or not, to say, let's get some young guys around here so they can watch me a little while. They'll really be wild and be, they'll be tremendous if they just watch me a little bit. Hopefully they'll imitate me a little bit. They'll be just like me, you know. It doesn't work. I got two sons that are both pastors, all right? I got a son who's a pastor down in Illinois, and I got a son who's a pastor in, in Virginia. When I go preach in their churches, they go, you don't sound like him. He doesn't sound like you. They're low-key. You kind of get the message after about three minutes. Listen to me. I'm not low-key. You know, they're laid back. They're raised in Africa. What's the big deal? You know, their whole ministry is different. And, and yet, when they're empowered to do their ministry, they're dynamic in a whole different way than I am. You know what I mean? If I'd said, watch me, let's, let's just kind of trail along for a little while, they wouldn't be used of God the way they're being used for, by God right now in their ministries. So this investing has to have this step of empowering. Has to have step of empowering. All right, I'm running out of time, so let me jump real quick. Second Timothy chapter two. You have to go here when you talk about Paul uh, empowering Timothy. So Second Timothy, please, because if we fast forward and we go uh, five more years into ministry, a lot of people think Paul was released from prison from Philippi and that imprisonment had a few years of ministry, traveled around a bit, and then his second imprisonment is his last imprisonment. Significant enough, he writes. Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians during his imprisonment, when he stands up in the, in, in the last letters he writes, none of them are to groups of people. They're only to single individuals. Titus and Timothy. What does that say? What's that say about you and I when we have limited time and effort on our hands and we must focus? It says, don't shotgun anymore. Don't cast your seeds widely. Pick an individual Go deep. Why? Because depth reproduces. Because depth makes lasting impact. Those are principles. You can go to bank on them. You can tweet them right now if you want. They are right. Depth brings lasting impact. Generations after generations will be impacted when there's depth of ministry. You see? You can speak to the masses, but you have to have depth of ministry with a few individuals. And the Apostle Paul is our example. Timothy, let me tell you. Titus. Let me tell you, time is running out. Nobody stood up for me last time. You're the hope of the future. Not the Ephesians. Not the Colossians. Definitely not the Hebrews, because we don't even know if he wrote it, right? But Timothy and Titus. He writes to Philemon individually as well. And you pick it up here in 2 Timothy, and he says this. Verse, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Don't you love that? There's a prayer father, huh? It wasn't a grace Bible cause, but there's a prayer father. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded, now lives in you. Moms and grandmas, Paul comes alongside the work of faithful women to make the gospel go forward. He finds a young man who was unqualified and yet was instructed by godly 
parents and godly grandparents, and he empowers him to do ministry and finds him faithful. Boy, that's a great principle, isn't it? And then chapter 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Timothy, I invested in you. Timothy, I'm asking you to include, invest, and empower in others. And when you do, make sure they know that they have responsibility to include, invest, and empower others. You see, it is generational. It is what we call multiplication versus addition, and that's always been God's desire for ministry that has depth and that has impact, is that it is multiplication. He multiplied Timothy and Titus, who found faithful men, taught them so that they would teach others. You know what? It's no different in Berean Bible Church in Shoreline, Washington, or Grace Bible College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, or where my wife and I served in Tanzania, East Africa, where it's investing in a few people deeply and teaching them to invest in people deeply, and God will multiply those efforts, you see? That's God's plan. It's God's design. We see it right here in Scripture. Look at chapter 3 as I, as I conclude, where he, where he, where he gives these, these little bit of examples about the life and life impact. Chapter 3, he says, You, however, verse 10, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings, what kinds of things happen to me in these different places. And then you jump down to verse 14. But as for you, continue what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. There's such an emphasis in chapter 3 on the people and their personal traits rather than the teaching because they live out the teaching. You see, there are examples, and that can be caught by other people. Some people aren't so good with the book study. Some people aren't so good with how many books there are in the Bible and, and all the minor prophets and major prophets and even which gospel is written by who, you know, even though they have their names on them. Uh, it's a matter of, but can you show me a life that's dedicated to Christ based on that teaching, which is important? That I can imitate. That I can reproduce. And I believe that's what we're finding here in Paul's last letter Almost the last chapter of his last letter, remember how I lived, remember what I did, remember my way of life, and reproduce it. From infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Now, what's he going back to? From infancy, he's talking about his grandma and his mother again, right? Because Paul wasn't there. You have known the Scriptures, those who invested in you, because all Scriptures God breathed, Useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, training in righteousness. What's the takeaway? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? <clears throat> we live in an age where investing is very important. And all of us are investing. And the advertisers and marketers would tell us that it's so crucial that we invest wisely for our retirement and for a legacy that will outlive us. And the statistics show that Americans are, are, are not doing very good with writing their, their wills and making sure they have things in order for their families and they're trying to solve the next generation's problems by, by making sure that's written well and people aren't fighting over their estates and they make sure they're set up well. And, you know, the reality is most of us, when we receive an inheritance, we're, we're too old to care that much anymore anyway, are we? I mean, I'm 53. My parents are doing great. They're in ministry their whole life. I'm not looking for an inheritance to do something special for me. But what I do have 
and what you and I must think about is how we invest our time, our energy, and our effort that multiplies into the next generation so that they do the same, so that this multiplication of a legacy of godliness and faithfulness will reap benefits. And I come back to it again to say the takeaway is what? The depth and the focus and the intentionality makes all the difference in the world. You see, we can say, I remember what Grandpa stood for. I remember how he went to church. But if they can say, I remember how Grandpa used to sit me down and say, son, I've made mistakes in life, but here's some principles that have been enduring that have made me a happy person no matter what happens, no matter how long I live, my life has been worthwhile. You see, that's the investing that our young people need to hear today. It's the investing that says the truths of God's word have been everything to me as I navigated the challenges of life and have made the mistakes and lived in an increasingly hostile America today. This is why I go to the grave with great satisfaction of a life well lived. This is the investing that has a high level of intentionality. Why? You see, because otherwise we leave that up to a memorial service someday, a funeral, and a nice eulogy where we hope people summarize 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years in 20 minutes, and we hope that those around catch something of value because it's pretty unintentional? Wouldn't you rather, and so I would rather have a powerful level of intentionality that says, you know what? We don't know how long we're on this planet. But there's two or three things that I must make sure I communicate to you of what's of value in this world and what has sustained me all of my years. You know what, there's a personalist in that, isn't there? There's a care, there's a something that the Apostle Paul had from Ananias and gave to Timothy that we need, that we need to have in our lives in a very high, intentional way that brings about glory to God and brings about a beautiful multiplication of the next generation. This church has had a deep impact in my life, in the life of many believers around the world because you've cared about God's priorities. But you know, we have a parable in the scriptures of those who were entrusted and asked, what did you do with what God entrusted to you? Did you bury it in the sand? Did you reap multiplication because you invested it elsewhere? So let me just make sure I asked you that question as well today. As you look around this room, I know there's people that are not here, and yet there's still a wealth of, of what God has blessed you with that you might invest in others. And may you today purpose to invest that in a powerful, powerful way. This is a wonderful weekend in which we celebrate people who gave their lives for a greater cause than themselves. Could it not be said of us as Christians that we gave our lives for a much greater cause than ourselves and the next generations reaped the benefits? Let's bow our heads and pray our dedication to God. Abba Father, we do ask now at this time that you just put in our hearts and minds those people who have invested in our lives. We're here today because someone spoke to us. We're here today because someone invited us to follow Jesus Christ. We're here today because a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker said, I'd like you to come visit our church. We believe in following Jesus Christ. We may have answers to your situation. God, make us grateful for how you worked in the past through those people. And then, Lord, I ask that in this room that you move us in a powerful way off of any complacency that we might have of simply being good and doing the right things to put in our hearts and minds 
those couple of individuals, whether in our family or outside, that we could be including, investing, and empowering in to be able to be multiplied in your work and in your ministry for all eternity. Lord, we love you. We dedicate ourselves to you. May you receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.